Welcome to Consuming Jung, Jung sorry, episode four. I'm Logan, and I'm here with my friend Tim. Hey everybody, Tim here, and this week we read The Analysis of Dreams. Yeah, quite a short chapter, this one, or section. Yeah, satisfyingly short, in my opinion. Hmm. And, it, you know, his chapters, I feel like they're misleading, because I feel at the end of this chapter, I thought that I would get I would understand how to analyze dreams, but no, you don't. I think you need to get a four-year psychology degree, I guess. <laughs> but that's what I was secretly hoping for, to get something yeah. like a four-year college degree after this short chapter. Right. Well, he kind of makes a point that it's he kind of discourages um, at least the mechanical analysis of dreams, which is a point he's touched on before, uh, where, well, he says even the psychologist with his theories, um, or psychiatrist, uh, is, is pretty inadequate compared to because well, he, he just makes the point again that the dreams are so personal uh, and, uh, and and he makes the point later on that two people could have the same dream but if they are in different parts of their lives they could have completely different meanings uh, from the same dream and beyond that I think he describes how having an education and even being a genius in the field can be a liability. So in the end of the chapter, he talks about Freud mm. and being reluctant to share a dream with Freud because he knew Freud had a system of defining a certain symbol, uh, a corpse, I believe, to mean death, and then wishing for the death. If you if you have a corpse in your dream, or at least Freud's sort of sense at that time was that if Jung described a dream with a corpse in it, then that meant Jung was idealizing or secretly wishing for Freud's death or the death of one of his family members. It's sort of very uh, typically Freudian analysis, but Jung's like, that was just completely wrong, so I couldn't even share it with this guy. And he is perhaps the best-known psychologist ever, and he was an inadequate dream analyzer, according to Jung. So certainly we don't have a chance. Uh, or, or it's very much about the individual, perhaps, but even with a psychology degree, it's not necessarily clear how to interpret them right right and while i was reading that that um caution of uh you know even a professional can get this totally wrong or or hamper the process anyway um i sort of got the impression because it, it reminded me of um some of the stuff you'd said in previous episodes about how well there's two things one is like your uh a little wary about sharing dreams because you're worried it might reveal something about you. And then the other one was you, you've mentioned a couple of times the idea that, uh, that I don't know how you phrased it, but something about how, you know, we might not be qualified or, or we're maybe amateurs at interpreting dreams. And the message I got, uh, well, it seemed to be part of what he was saying is that what you need is not a professional. In fact, the professional is less crucial than the than the active exploration of the subject himself. Uh, and then he also mentioned it was a dialogue, uh, you know, between the, uh, the unconscious and the conscious. Um, and he seemed to, to me, the message I got was like, yeah, a psychiatrist would have these tools and they would help, um, but they can also hinder and, and uh, you can't systematize it too much, dream analysis. That's true. Yeah, and there, but I worry that so. So I would be inclined to agree that the individual, now that you articulated that way, is the most important part of the process. In fact, it's really the only possible. I, I think Jung perhaps has some expertise. You know, he may have been able to guide people, but he he did talk about how cautious he had to be and how he needed every single detail because it was so easy to perhaps latch on to one thing or another. Mm. Uh, but there is, I feel like, a mode that I'm still in, I think helplessly in, I, I want to get out of, but it kind of has to do with, with this quote from, from the chapter. So he says, It is obvious that if you assume the dream to be symbolic, you will interpret it differently from a person who, who believes that the, ener the essential energizing thought or emotion is known already and is merely disguised by the dream. In the latter case, Dream interpretation makes little sense for you only find what you already know, end quote. And, and that's where I still 
kind of feel like I'm at because I don't understand symbols well enough. And I'm sort of saying there's this emotionally energizing thing about the dream. And I think it's based on an emotion I've been having, something that's already known to me. And he's saying, no, it's a communication. It's it's symbols that your unconscious is is presenting to you to communicate something that's not already obvious to your conscious. And that's the that's actually, I think, a a significant step to reach that level. And I certainly don't feel that I've adequately arrived at that level, even after these first couple of chapters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we've talked about this before, I think, uh, our related topic, which is the whole question of whether if you have a dream, you're sort of presented with a story and is the story written deliberately or is it somehow uh, like, is there an author there? That's sort of, I think, part of the question we've been asking and that he's been um, sort of walking around as well. Uh, and here he's, it seems like he's saying that there's certainly like not a concealer anyway. He, I think it's in this section, he, he mentions um, Freud talks about the dream sensor. That's in this section, right? Something about a dream sensor? Uh, I don't recall. It may very well be. Hmm. Well, there, the idea, and I might say, I accidentally read ahead of chapter, so I might be confusing things. Um, but it's either in this chapter or the next. He talks, he talks, he mentions Freud's idea of that you have these insights, uh, but there is a mechanism in the brain that will conceal the insight because it doesn't want to shock you. So that was Freud's uh, mm. idea. And Jung, Jung pushes against that, as I said, either in this chapter or the next one. As if the yeah that that does sound like it might be next chapter, but that mm. that is a a good distinction of of how these two psychologists are. And I know Freud, right? And I know about his sort of like you know, every boy is in love with his mother, and every girl in love with her father, and unusual ideas like that that have like very that stuck in our our collective conscious. I think because of how radical they were, and I, I don't know if they ever were. Uh, proven to be the right theory or not uh, but that sounds quite freudian and and certainly anti what what jung is saying here I, I wouldn't i would be surprised if if jung had agreed with the idea that we're trying to that the brain is the unconscious rather is deliberately trying to mask something from us shield something from us that's saying very much the opposite of that that it's trying to tell you something that's true and it's doing it in the only way it can. It's not trying to lessen the impact in any way. Mm -hmm. Or deliberately mystify it. Yeah. Right. Well, what do you think of the, he talks more about symbols and that's the part where I'm really trying to, to pay attention as closely as possible because it's the part that's still the most mysterious to me. And uh, he talks again about how they're, natural they're spontaneous products yeah. and that you can't invent a symbol and and get to a symbol by logical conclusion of deliberate intent because then it would be so much more simple than any symbol that arises but i wonder how you would think about brands in that context because there are certain brands that were deliberately created but now have a symbolic form for example the mcdonald's golden arches they that's what i was just thinking too yeah it sort of pops into mind so fast because it sort of it's a symbol of something unflattering about America. You know, you'll have that yeah. superimposed on like kind of obese people with their heads out of the frame, right? And <laughs> it's sort of like Americans are flocking to this hit, this yeah. blockbuster. I don't know, something more serious than that. And that's symbolic of like America now, even though it was made to like advertise quality hamburgers some time ago. Right. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, I think, yeah, you, you makes the point that you can't create a symbol. And I think in a way, the McDonald's arches proves his point, although it might be counterintuitive because you might say, well, there's a symbol that we've created, but <clears throat> what really happened is we, uh, the, the McDonald's executives or whoever um, created a logo and they created a sign, I think you would call it a sign, um, but the symbol emerged sort of independently of that because obviously they don't want <laughs> the McDonald's people don't want their uh, their golden arches to be symbolizing uh, obesity and fast food and and uh, you know um, poor regard for health all that kind of stuff. But it does actually symbolize that. Uh, he also talks about 
religious symbols and well historical symbols uh and so when you now that we're talking about the golden arches it it makes me sort of <laughs> think ahead to the future you know and uh generations ahead of us they'll they'll be studying the golden arch <laughs> symbolism and and they'll they'll feel about that maybe a little bit how we feel about uh, you know the, the cross or or other symbols i mean not <laughs> not in not in what they symbolize but just in the sort of the historical roots of them and they might also see it uh not 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 like in a mysterious not like oh that's so mysterious but more like oh this is our it's a story about our past and it comes out of history that's uh yeah there so it it, it this the symbol took on or, or the sign perhaps took on a symbolism and that was very much outside of the control and certainly outside of the intent of the creators of that symbol and i you must be right that in in 50 years we will look at the mcdonald's arch as symbolic of this sort of time period it's kind of hard yeah. to describe this time period like the, the post 9 11 or post cold war or i don't know what of course they'll name it later mm -hmm. but part of that is you know america was a dominant culture and here's a good symbol for americans they like this thing called fast food it was unhealthy right. but they didn't mind because it tasted good right and then they're like ha, right how, how foolish don't they want to live <laughs> to be 250 you can't do that if you're Right. Know, those kind of proteins or, or whatever right. they'll be talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it also strikes me as you're saying that that's the symbolism that will last that all the deliberate, it, I mean, it seems like all of the deliberate uh, creation of the meaning behind it by the advertising people at McDonald's that would fade away and the symbolism would last. And then the symbolism is almost, um, out of their control, at least out of their individual control, it seems like symbolism emerges culturally without anyone driving it. And that's what will last. So that's quite interesting. But what do you think about a more successful symbol, the Apple symbol? Oh, yeah. that, that Apple, I think they actually nailed exactly what they got out of it, which is people think they have this innovative product that like is beautiful and the brand is synonymous with quality and it's synonymous with people like being rich because it, it's just, they market up so much, but their marketing is so good that people are happy to, because the, then people will see, Oh, that he, that person has an iPhone. Oh, that lady has ear pods. Yeah. Uh, those cost over a hundred dollars. So she's rich and she has good taste, which is yeah. just kind of somewhat baffling to me, but but nonetheless, the brand is quite successful. Maybe maybe we don't want to get uh, too hung up on brands, but do you have any reaction to that? Yeah, it's an interesting interesting thing to think about because to me, there is a symbolism in Apple, although I don't think as strong of a symbolism as with the Golden Arches. But there is a symbolism there. Um, but I would say that I would guess that the symbolism, the reason that it symbolizes these positive things, uh, these values that are that are useful to Apple, is because they actually did make that the reality. You know, they really have delivered on pretty astounding innovation a number of times. You know, there's the, the iPods, of course, and the iPhones. Those were both really innovative, and uh, you know, who, who knows the actual processes in place, but. But it could be that, for example, you know, the first few people that actually got the uh, the the iPods uh, and started using them, and then the first few people that got the uh, the iPhones, the people around them will eventually have been like, "Wow, that guy was right. Those things were going to catch on, and I was a fool for not seeing that." And mm -hmm. maybe that kind of decentralized feedback and decision making plays a part in the symbolism. Uh, because you, you can have successful brands and there are a lot of su successful brands and I'm, I suppose they would all have their own symbolism, but Apple is an interesting, um, interesting one because there is, it seems like there's a quite a heavy amount of symbolism there. Uh, and, and I would, that's how I would explain it. You know, I'm just sort of guessing here or educated guessing, but it seems like 
they've earned that positive symbolism to some degree because they really did make reality uh you know they had this incredible evasion and they went for it and it was realistic enough to do and then and then here we are with you know who knows how far how much farther ahead we are in those kinds of innovation because apple did actually step forward and, and do those things it you know it it's no i think they may have been extremely either extremely wise or just a little bit lucky with choosing an apple itself and naming the company apple because an apple i think is layered with symbolism mm. uh, from the bible right the the uh, the fruit of knowledge i always think of it as an apple i think of of uh, what's that guy Newton with an apple falls on his head oh, and yeah. he has this massive breakthrough there the apple is just very mm. it might be one of the most symbolic images period right in our culture and I think that does a lot of work for them and all sort of like about knowledge and and the future and this transition of things mm. uh, and I was trying to think you know is that playing success how does that compare to windows but then I think about Windows. Windows is also kind of a cool symbol. It's like a window. Their symbol is abstract, but when you think about it as a window, it does look like a window with four panes. Mm -hmm. But I would say that they're less of a their their symbolism is far less important. Their 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 brand is yeah is less significant on our culture than Apple's. Yeah, that that yeah, I would say that's true. So yeah, so it's, we could sort of arrange a loose hierarchy where the McDonald's golden arches are have a lot of symbolism. And and a lot of, and all of all or a lot of that came from the culture, not from McDonald's. And then and then uh, Apple somewhere in the middle. And then lower than each of them is Windows, which is still a powerful brand. Uh, and it's that's that's a good one to talk about it because that's a good example of how you can have something that's not very symbolic. I can't really think of. I mean, I have my own feelings about Windows, but as far as like culturally shared symbolism, I don't think Windows really. Uh, it doesn't really. Not a lot comes up for me. Um, but it's still a really powerful brand. You know, people know what they're getting with Windows to the most for the most part, and uh, and it achieves their goals. So, and those are both symbols that are in the common parlance. People know what apples are. They know what Windows are. You know, then you have brands like Mickey Mouse for Disney, which mm. for me it, it sort of takes the path of Mc. McDonald's as well. It's not for me. It's not associated with sort of family fun and good values. I, I see the Mickey Mouse symbol and tend to think more of like corporate greed because of what <laughs> I think I know about Disney right. and how successful they are. Um. So, <laughs> that, but there's one that's not a completely invented symbol. I guess there's a mouse, but it's right. it's a cartoon mouse. It's uh, this. This is a deep rabbit hole. Clearly, we could probably just think about all these brands. And I think with Apple in particular, I think they, if it didn't start out this way, they certainly have amazingly uh, sagacious marketing people that are very have yeah. a very clear idea of what how to use their symbol and how to or how to use their brand as a symbol, rather, mm -hmm. and how to get deeper and deeper into that sort of thinking for people where people see that they see this image and it tells them a huge amount of information more information than you can perhaps articulate mm. and uh, th that's i think that goes beyond the technology that they make it goes like with their understanding of symbols and marketing yeah yeah for sure well we, we may have exhausted this although i liked it but i really do <laughs> want to go back to the religious idea because jung talks about that in a very he's so succinct with complex ideas it's a great read for that reason and his discussion of of symbols in religion and how they are these sort of conscious elaborations that are condensed and and so forth and so that they they're buried in our subconscious and the, the religious symbols are 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 quite powerful this goes into a clear disagreement between you and me that I think we've talked about a lot and I don't think we've ever fully, I think I sort of lean towards seeing what you say, but it would be interesting to try to hash it out here because mm. I don't see those symbols as divine or it's hard for me to imagine them as being anything other than the product of, of people, prehistoric men. Mm. But 
there's arguments, and I think that yeah, I'm not mischaracterizing your ideas to say that you do see some sort of spiritual meaning there or deeper divinity beyond even what men created. Is that a reasonable thing to say? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so if, I'll just fill that in a bit more. And this has been sort of a recent um, shift in my views uh, over the past few years. I'm actually dating a girl. We're pretty close now, and, and she's very much in the religious um, sphere of things. She grew up uh, Christian, and now she's she is now sort of re-exploring it through this logical lens. So that's quite a quite a fortuitous uh, timing there between us, because um, we're both kind of reevaluating our own original positions from the other viewpoint. But but yeah, I the, the, where I'm at now is just that I it seems. It seems like it's it's worth having two frames on the world. One frame is the scientific and then one frame is the religious. And I certainly wouldn't call myself Christian at this point. And I don't, I, I do feel like I've stopped moving towards Christianity. I mean, maybe a year ago, I would have said, I don't really know where I'm going to stop because I would be inching towards there. But I feel like I'm starting to feel the boundary of where I, you know, what I'll accept. And, and I, I certainly have sort of come back to a relatively firm, um, I don't know, opinion on what I don't like about Christianity and religion in general. But, and this, this might be a bit of a tangent uh, away from the subject here. I'll try to be concise. Um, so there's the idea of like the Big Bang and evolution versus, you know, God created the world. And I think that my best guess now is that you you can't, that they these these two framings of the world don't need to be contradictory. Um, and they don't, they don't need, yeah, well, that's, I guess that's really it. You know, you can, you can have evolution and the big bang, and, but you still, with that, you can't explain what came before it. I don't really think that's a criticism of science in as, I mean, well, if it is, it's also a criticism of creationism because you still would have to explain what created God. But if we can't explain what came before the big bang, then, and, and there's many other things we can't explain. And we are moving forward to another great mystery. We don't really know where we're going, um, even in just pure physical terms, but also in spiritual terms. I don't know. I, I be, I've become more comfortable calling that God or some kind of higher power. And then almost consulting with it in a way that you could call prayer. Um, sort of, you'd almost think of it like with prayer specifically, I, I sort of am imagining a future point or some higher point and consulting with it as if it exists, regardless of, and, it, and that doesn't really rely on whether I believe it, it exists, because it puts me into a certain frame of mind that that helps me in my real life. Anyway, so to get back to now sort of symbolism and religious symbols, I think it gets back to this idea that man can't really create symbols, not logically, not consciously. Um, and that's not in individually and not also not uh, culturally, like it's all, it's all unconscious. Um, so, you know, like the cross, for example, um, I don't, it's certainly conceivable that people could have created that sign. Uh, but I think at this point, anything deliberate that people would have created it, may, that would have probably given it an initial direction, but anything any of the content of the message they tried to attach to it probably has faded and what we're left with is the symbolism. And that process of the symbolism coming forth, I think I think you, you wouldn't be making too much of a mistake to say that there is something about that process that is, I hesitate to use the term holy, but well, but we could say it's beyond our understanding. I think that's entirely fair. I mean, and you could say the same thing just about the Bible itself. There were many versions of the Bible, many other religious ideas floating around and many, um, you know, pieces of writing that could have been put in the Bible, but weren't. And then many editing and, and revisioning. And it's actually quite an evolutionary process. Uh, and that whole process as well. We don't, we don't really know what happened. We don't really know who edited it. Uh, I do think you can step into the scientific or objective frame and say, well, obviously it was people. And I don't really disagree with that at all. I don't think I'm anywhere near disagreeing with that. But I think there's also a truth now to saying that process that created the Bible 
there might be some that might have resulted in a text that we should take quite seriously. I suppose that's really where I'm at now. That's very, that's beautifully said. That's a really clear articulation. I, I really enjoyed that. And, and it ties back very well that, that symbols emerge and, and there's a sort of idea of, of, so that memes, we're both familiar with, with memes, but mm. for anyone that's not, uh, as I understand it, it's sort of a replicatable idea. It's a recognize, recognizable idea. Right. And that's where, and so, so that's the original term came from Dawkins. And then it got, appro well, I don't know if appropriate is the, is the right word, but sort of, uh, most people know the more narrow definition, which is still a meme, but it's just an internet picture, which is really more of a type of, it's a subset of the meme that Dawkins meant. And so now you're talking about the, the more general term. Yes, the more general. I, I, I got to read that biology book to see where it all started. Uh, but there's but there's different classes, right? Yeah, there's the, the joke memes, the funny memes. There's I think there's religious memes. Mm. And I, I guess I'd have to, maybe I don't want to go down this territory because I just see my own ignorance in terms of not being able to distinguish perhaps symbols and memes they, they feel very similar to me hmm, very subtle difference there, there might be a lot of overlap yeah yeah oh undoubtedly and th there's something to that idea that some memes are fitter than others so some ideas are uh, stronger and they have a better sort of evolutionary survival because they're just better what well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're more true but they stick into our our conscious better. Yeah. These ideas survive. There's this beauty. There's this idea that I've really enjoyed. I've only just come across. I think I've heard it on two different places: the Joe Rogan podcast and in in Sapiens by you all know Harari. Where it's not that people have ideas, but ideas have people. Right. That ideas are this abstraction, and that people put themselves in service of ideas like yes it feels like you're acting of your own free will but you can have an idea sometimes that that causes you to do do a lot of work and make a lot of effort in a way that you couldn't possibly fully understand everything because none of us have perfect knowledge uh and these these religions i feel like they they have that that power where they have these amazing memes about uh personal sacrifice and that's a very good meme and that's somewhat represented by the cross is you personally sacrifice today you may build yourself a much better future and if you continue to compound that sacrifice you'll your future will get better and mm. better that's a that's a really good meme that's and the, uh, symbolized by sacrifice by the cross yeah uh, which also of course symbolizes torture and and whatnot it, there's there's more there but i think sacrifice is the most prominent uh bridge of that symbol but then the the i i like all that i think that's all true and i think that's all useful where i worry about religion and where it sort of tends to be a stumbling block most often is that there's a rigidity of certain memes there's this idea that well we can't really understand the depth of these ideas and symbols and so we have to assume that we're that they are true. We have to apply some sort of interpretation. And because there's so many billions of people that are subscribed to these religions, they will have a interpretation that perhaps comes from their own personal shortcomings or the arbitrariness of their culture. And they'll take that and interpret it through that lens, these old documents, and then come out with ideas that are not useful that are quite harmful to themselves or their society but are unchallengeable because to challenge them is to challenge the divinity of god and so mm. i would like i would prefer to strip them of the divinity feeling i, I think there's something amazing about compounded wisdom of, of you have thousands of years of people telling stories and then these are the books where they're finally recorded mm. in their most perfect form there's something brilliant about that that has a lot of meaning and value but as soon as you assign it this additional aspect this the that it what came from the mouth of god or from the mind of god it was just he used the 
scribes that were perfectly human, but you know, he inspired them to mm. write the perfect word. I think that's where you the idea becomes more fragile or because it's not adaptable because if it's perfect then it will fade away or, or not fade away but just cause harm because our worlds change we we as as similar as we are to prehistoric man we're also quite different as well and i think we need to adapt our psychology and morality to to better fit our new niches yeah yeah, I like all that quite a bit. And I agree completely. Uh, I, it's a really interesting um, way to, to phrase it that the, so let me, I'm just going to try to rephrase what you said. Uh, so you're saying that um, the problem that you have is when the divinity comes in, because the divinity leads to this idea that the word of God is perfect. And so then you have uh, people who, um, aren't open to criticism because they believe that they are acting out the perfect will of God. And, and the problem there is that because you have the system that acts as if it's perfect, then it's not going to adapt. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. Much yeah. more succinct. Well, I mean, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's teamwork, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, buddy. All right. But, um, yeah, that's really that's that's really fascinating. I mean, I, I think too much striving for perfection or too much valuing of perfection seems like that's always a a bad you know that that's that's never a good thing. That always ends up hurting us. Um, whether that's trying to strive too hard for perfection or believing that we have perfection, and yeah, that's definitely a part of Christianity slash religion that I, well, I certainly haven't accepted and I'm, um, yeah, I, I may never accept. I, I definitely, it doesn't feel like it's any, anywhere really close to, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm certainly not about to go and say the Bible is the perfect word of God. I think that is quite a big leap of faith. I don't really persecute others mentally as much as I used to for making that leap. Um, but I don't really see, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not there. And I think that is the problem. I think you're right. I mean, uh, you know, the whole um, Spanish Inquisition and, and similar religiously motivated, uh, you know, atrocities were probably committed by the people who were convinced that they were certainly motivated by the word of God and they were just completely closed to any kind of criticism or, as you say, adaptation. Uh, so, yeah, as much as I'm really enjoying my exploration back into some idea of spirituality and even divinity, although even that word I'm still a little uncomfortable with. I, I totally agree with you, though, um, that to say something is perfect because it came from God, the danger is that that whatever you're calling is perfect, it's it's like it's it's removed from rebuke. You You can't modify it. It's, it's, if it's claimed to be perfect and it's also static and it's kind of almost dead in a way. That's a, that's a, I'm maybe a, maybe we can edit this out of it. It's a too personal, but I'm in a kind of a debate with my dad because he is religious and I respect that. I actually admire it greatly, but I asked him recently, dad, do you think God is dead? or alive because alive things must change. That's I think part of the definition is being alive is changing mm -hmm. from state to state. But if it's, how can you change from a perfect state to another perfect state? Mm -hmm. Like which of those is, is false is, is either God dead and perfect or is he alive and changing? But if he's changing, is it possible to be more perfect? That mm -hmm. invalidates what we think about perfection. And uh, he responded that I sh should be less arrogant. <laughs> he said it better than that. He's like, man is so arrogant when he criticizes God or something to that effect. I'm like, yeah, huh. that's true. I'll have to think about that. Huh. But that uh, that just made me, th what you said made me think about that because we're talking about dead or alive. I think that's, there's certain logical tricks that you can play that I don't know if are fair or not, but like, can God make 
an object so massive that he himself cannot lift it. So it's like a right. question is either is God powerful enough? Uh, in either sense, is he powerful enough to create an object? Like if he can't, then he's not, you know, omnipotent. He's not all knowing. But if he can make it, then he's not all all powerful. He doesn't have the strength to lift it. So he's limited in some way based on this logical trap. Right. Which I think is salient, but maybe maybe unfair in some way. But anyways, I think it, this is this this religious re, these religious ideas will come up again. I think because yeah, Freud, so. or excuse me, Jung seems to be quite interested in talking about prehistoric man and about religion. And yeah, I, I hope it continues because it's giving me more fodder for thinking these things through. Yeah, and uh, you know the the video interview that um, that caused this book. I think we talked about it in the in episode one, not episode zero, but episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the interviewer at the very end, asked him, "Do you believe in God?" And Jung had an int- uh, an answer that surprised me. He said, "I don't, I don't believe in him. I know he exists," and that shocked me a bit because he seems like quite a reasonable um a guy that i respect in a lot of ways and yet to that answer yeah really threw me off i but i really my respect for Jung at this point is so great that i rather than my reaction now being like well that's just stupid like Mm because if any if it was just a normal person said that i'd be like okay well way to dodge the question or like did you even understand what i'm asking and and how can you know you know what is knowledge but but extreme belief. And yet he made that answer and, and um, everything else he says seems quite intelligent. So anyway, I, I maybe a bit of a tangent there, but he clearly, uh, yeah, he clearly believes in the idea, uh, the idea of divinity. So I'm sure it'll pop up again. And yet it's also not, not at all um, obvious from the text. He writes fr- from a very, maybe not scientific viewpoint, but like an academic viewpoint. And he, um, so either his ideas of God just don't really impact his, his, I should say his knowledge slash belief in God either doesn't, isn't relevant in the writing, or maybe he's hiding it to sort of write for the times. You know, if I had a strong belief in God and I was writing today, I would certainly um, try to keep it out of my writing because I know I'm writing for secular people for the most part. So yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. which which of those it would be. I think it, it does seem like a larger part of his identity in a way that that we'll see more. Yeah, that's I forgot about that, but that is quite the that is quite shocking. Although it didn't shock me at the time, perhaps, but thinking about it now, someone that is scientifically minded or philosophically minded, even mm-hmm. perhaps will deal with probabilities. Like we can know that this may be true. Mm-hmm. But to just say, I know, suggests that he's taken that leap of faith, which is necessary for religious people, because there's insufficient evidence to believe it. You need that leap. But once you do make that leap, then perhaps you can feel like, you know. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's all, that's all good. I have I, I don't have any more notes on this chapter. I think I'm ready to move on to dreams. What about yourself? Yep. Yeah, me too. I, I feel good about that. Uh, I don't have my dream up yet. If you have yours up, you can go ahead. Okay. Yeah, and I uh, this one I I'm sort of unsatisfied with this one because it's such a mystery to me. Uh, but and I'm well, I'll just just read it and uh, that'll be fine. So here's my dream. <clears throat> I walk into a bar. I notice some coworkers, but I do not talk to them, choosing to go by unnoticed. I go to a back room thinking I will recognize it, but there are many new chairs and desks. Some are completely different from the other seating locations, as if they came from an antique shop. I choose one and settle my things. Things shift, and I am sitting next to a long stage on a stool. Two strangers are sitting close by, a man and a woman. I notice Morgan Freeman enters the room and sits facing the stage. More people start to come in. Kanye West enters and sits next to Morgan Freeman. The room starts to get better. I'm not sure what I meant there. Better, and there are suddenly hundreds, or I think I meant to say bigger. The room seems to get bigger, and there are suddenly hundreds of people in the room. They're all 
black celebrities, uh, like people like Drake and whatnot. Uh, so Morgan Freeman starts to MC. He talks to someone uh, next to me, and then he starts talking to me. And he asks me my name. I answer Timothy. He asks if I believe in God, and I say, not in a long time, not since I was nine. Then I remember he acted in a movie as God, so I say, but I liked you as God. I look over and I see Kanye chuckle. Morgan Freeman smiles and thanks me. He moves on to chat with someone else. This shifts into the show starting. I expect a comedian to start the show. I'm surprised when someone rides a dirt bike at high speed. They pass right next to me as I am sitting up against the stage. Then a four-wheeler ATV also zooms down the stage and slows itself by crashing into some bushes. I notice I am now outdoors. The club crowd is gone, but the people I was sitting next to are still there. They seem alarmed. Another motorbike flies by me. The driver flips over the bike. I scramble to move away. I grab my computer in a bag and move across the road. In my rush, I fall over into mud and grass. A low-flying helicopter buzzes over where we were sitting. The other people have also crossed the street. The helicopter has desert camo with no visible pilot. It looks more like a drone. The helicopter circles back and hovers above me. It slams down, nearly crushing me. Only then do I realize these are not just close calls, but it is really trying to kill me. And that's when I wake up. Whoa. I, I, uh, it's kind of gets dramatic at the end, but I didn't really, I just felt it was sort of unsatisfying, uh, for some reason. And I mm. didn't really get much. I couldn't un- interpret why I was in a room full of black celebrities. <laughs> couldn't understand the earlier part of the dream where I bowed coworkers and there's a bunch of strange chairs and I sit one, but then the chair morphs and I'm next to a stage on a stool. Mm. It just felt like a bunch of disconnected parts. I may just have had separate dreams that had nothing to do with each other i'm not sure if it works like that there wasn't there was a very there's sort of a dissatisfying lack of continuity there Hmm. and i i i really don't have good ideas about what it can mean yeah well that was my impression too it seemed like um like there were three or four different stories that were sort of connected together like you walk past your coworkers and you sit seems like one thing and then and then um and then you're you're in the sort of the comedy club or the 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 place with the stage that all seems sort of coherent uh and then and then the last thing is when it sort of morphs into a uh yeah to almost it's, it seems like it slides into an action movie of some sort uh with the with the uh the one motorbike going past you or maybe it was a four-wheeler like really close but- and that Go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know what? What the, there was continuity though, in the sense that, like, I walk into a club or some kind of bar, and I see my coworkers, and then I feel like I'm still in the same club when it shifts into like being next to a stage. Like, I feel like my coworkers are still there, mm-hmm. and I notice some people sitting next to me that I don't acknowledge, but they're men and women. And when it shifts to being outdoors, the man and woman are still there. So there's these very uh-huh. clear tunnels or common pieces that always remain even though the setting of the dream can shift wildly yeah or so i do think that they're connected and i i worry that this is sort of unsatisfying to hear because i really i i'm the best person or the most responsible for interpreting this but i i can't dice out any of the symbolism there um i'm glad i have it written down though i were i sort of i'm you know maybe listen to this in a few years and think oh that might have meant that and i just didn't realize i was in that kind of stage of my life and here's what being crushed by a helicopter right is that the government <laughs> is that me worried about losing my civil rights related to covid19 i or or something like that hmm. you know i'm trying to get away from the emotionally energized ideas hmm. because that's what jung says is incorrect and think of it as symbols um uh, but unfortunately i'm i'm quite at a loss there yeah yeah i don't know that is interesting it's also interesting uh, the the one part that was interesting was um how morgan freeman asked you about god and you had this conversation with another well i mean it must have been another part of yourself um but it did but even that didn't really go anywhere yeah 
It didn't. It, it, there seemed to be like some joke there where he played God in a movie. Right. <laughs> I don't, but I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, okay. Well, do you have a rating for me for that dream? I'm on the, to... What is it? A to F? Yeah. I'm going to have to give it a, a C minus. Fair. <laughs> Passing, though. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> okay. Let me, um, let me go find my. My dream now. Okay. I am in a high school style gym class in a new school and I'm unfamiliar with the routine. As we start the next activity, other classmates start reaching into a cupboard and grabbing guitars, then sit in a group and begin tuning them. The gym teacher is seated as well and waits. One of the students begins playing. It's an old childhood friend of mine. Uh, his name is Aaron. I, I knew him from long ago in real life. Um, his guitar playing is loud and decently strong, but his voice and lyrics aren't good. As he finishes, there is a pause and an expectation that others should applaud, but I don't want to applaud, and there is a moment where others may also hold back. I don't remember how this tension resolves, if it does, but I do remember that he seems satisfied or at least expresses an outward appearance of satisfaction or happiness. As others take turns playing, I look for a guitar I can use myself behind where I'm seated. I find one, then bring it close to my ear and begin tuning it quietly so as not to disturb the performance. I move through the strings one by one, tuning them each by ear, but after a few strings I realize the guitar is simply missing tuning pegs for some of the strings. I look around and find some tuning pegs I could screw into the guitar head, but notice further that the strings themselves are missing. I have to find a different guitar. The cupboard has an astounding number of guitars, all lined up side by side like books in a library, but every one of them I inspect has some crucial flaw. None of these will do. It seems all the other classmates are familiar with this library of guitars and know where all the good ones are. After some searching, the gym teacher tells me that I can use his guitar and that it's in the chest. Just be very careful with it, he says. I walk to a corner of the room where some other items and cupboards are, but I can't find the chest. He tells me, to your right, to your right right. I eventually find his guitar in a guitar case, although I have no memory of a chest. As I bring it back, I think about what song I should play. In the dream, as well as in real life, I only know one particular melody reasonably well, and I decide I will play that. I consider whether I should be sing whether I should sing along to something that I've only done once or twice before. In real life, I can't play and sing the song at the same time, but in the dream, this doesn't se seem to occur to me. I get back to the group and take out the guitar and return to where I was seated, noting that most of my classmates have already finished and left the circle. No one else is playing yet, although I don't feel any pressure from my peers as one might expect to play, to hurry up and play. I accidentally step lightly on the last guitar I was inspecting before I got up to get the uh, gym teacher's guitar. No harm seems to be done, but I do feel a bit sheepish at this. I take out the good guitar from its case uh, and then accidentally step on the case, which has some other guitar supplies in it. Again, no harm done, but a sheepish feeling. The gym teacher doesn't mention it. How's it sound? asks the gym teacher. Is it still tuned? And I give the guitar a strum. Some strings are out of tune, um, and upon waking I could still hear the exact way that the that strum sounded, which is interesting. As I reach to tune this guitar, the gym teacher says, ah, just kill it, kill that string, gesturing at the offending string, the one that's out of tune. He wants me to cut it and starts looking behind me for some wire cutters. I worry about how cutting a guitar string might make it whip wildly, perhaps cutting me. The gym teacher takes out a marker and is about to mark the offending string, but we notice that he has already marked it before. And that's when I wake up. Okay. there's. It's so funny to me. You're, I just couldn't help but think you're in a gym class. Yeah. The setting is clear. And this has happened in our other dreams where the setting is quite obvious what the setting is, and then it seems to have no relation to that <laughs> setting at all. Like what... Yeah. If that's intentional, what is the symbolism of a of a gym class? Like, why is that? Why not be in an orchestra room or like in a in a yeah. like classroom? Well, that's it, a really good question. Actually, I'd like to answer that because as soon as you ask, it, the high school gym class has always been an uncomfortable place for me. Uh, I mean, mm. I'm sure it was fun at times, but like when I think about how it feels to be now, and certainly the dreams I have that are in gym classes, it's always uncomfortable because I. I wasn't a very physically, just didn't really care about physical exertion, you know, and I wasn't good at it. I didn't really try very hard. And um, so I always felt kind of, um, I don't know, pressured 
in a way and like I was always either failing or I just didn't care I don't know yeah so that's interesting yeah because my well, and the previous dream I also had a gym class in it <laughs> oh it did so but it that it, that is continuous within the rest of the experiences you have this sort of lightly this place of light neuroticism or light anxiousness mm. and then you do things that are very slightly embarrassing like step on other people's stuff yeah and certainly on a guitar you probably don't want to step on a guitar it's yeah and no one seems to even like feel necessary to like tell you the obvious like hey or, or call you out on it <laughs> and that's probably what would happen in real life right um but you can't help but feel sheepish or that mild embarrassment. And that, that just seems to be the tenor of the dream is is like not quite getting your act together, arriving yeah. late, yeah. and like just not knowing whether to applaud or not. But other people are kind of in the same mood. Uh, yeah. I wonder, is it enough to sort of take the feeling tone of the mood? Like, okay, maybe it's music doesn't really mean music, and maybe gym class doesn't really mean gym class a place of, of mild uh, anxiety is that relate to anything going on in your life or is a message that you think your unconscious would be trying to tell you i i don't know i mean i i think with this dream i i have a similar attitude towards it as you do to your dream this week which is um it doesn't seem as rich as the others we went over or as meaningful i, I think there is something there um i think you're right that the the theme is like this weird discomfort you know i'm in a new place i don't really know the routine i'm kind of just following other people and it's it's almost like a string of kind of yeah just being uncomfortable slightly uncomfortable not like significantly but i'm i'm always every every part of the dream i'm trying to solve some minor problem and not really sure how like even when he told me go get the guitars in the chest and i couldn't find the chest or like trying to figure out what song to play or like not sure if I should applaud. Like it's all just being uncomfortable. Yeah. I, I, wonder, I mm -hmm. this, there seems to be, I, I can't help, but, but just think about COVID-19 and how we all have new routines Oh yeah, and how we all are starting new things. And it's, I, I don't know if that's reaching into, okay, it just seems like the obvious interpretation. So maybe that's wrong. What is, but maybe there's, there's something there. Maybe you're, maybe there's some unconscious communication like, Hey, this is like, pay attention because right now things are so strange that they might be changing in a way you don't expect in yeah. a way that you would fight against. But we're all now in our own pods. We're all now completely separated. We're all communicating through technology, which is trackable. Mm -hmm. We sort of lost the sort of off grid element of our lives. Everything is now on that level any communication i mean we still have our thoughts thank goodness and and anyone that you might have be sharing space with but we've suddenly very radically changed our lives and i guess it would be surprising if we didn't have some kind of unconscious response to that no i think that's a, a, a yeah entirely legitimate um guess there yeah because yeah definitely I, so I, i'm in lockdown in south africa which means that so in, i wish i was in the states because it's similar in many ways but if we leave the we're only allowed to do certain things when we leave the house and it's similar in the states but and correct me if i'm wrong but i think that in the states it's more like you they say what you can't do so you can't gather in groups of this size and you can't do this and that and then you then there's of course strong encouragement to stay at home but it's not like you'll you can like be arrested for going to visit your friend's house if a cop pulls you over is that is that correct I don't think you could be arrested. I, I had some odd email from my work where they sent me a letter saying this is like if I need if I get pulled over, I can show the police officer that I'm an employee of the certain mm. institution, so I'm allowed to be out. Right, because you were which I thought power. was quite. Yeah, yeah, with the electric grid, yeah, it's um, just deemed as an essential service. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have the sense that if I did choose to take the risk of going to a friend's house, as long as the gathering was under ten people that would be frowned upon, but not, I wouldn't face a fine. That's my loose interpretation. I think that I, being in Fairbanks, Alaska, there is less, it, it hasn't quite permeated here. There's certainly, there's still people that are sort of think like, oh, it's all a hoax or overblown mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, but there are, 
people, I think if I was in New York, which is the epicenter in the United States, then I imagine it would be quite severe there. And in fact, I've heard some very unusual things that sound almost like martial law, but not quite yeah. in terms of how people are being managed. Yeah. Well, here it's, yeah, it's definitely more of a totalitarian feel to it because you're, you're really, in fact, we, we tried to walk to the uh, park nearby and this guy stopped and was really aggressive about being like, get back home. And, and I'm not, he said he was a cop. I don't even know if it's true. But anyway, so yeah, it's it's very much a new situation. And I'm really, yeah, just figuring out figuring it out as I go, which, which definitely um, aligns with the feeling in the dream. So yeah, that could definitely be um, a communication of that feeling. Yeah. And I also, you know, so you met, you, you phrase it sort of as, um, the unconscious or like the messages sort of pay attention because things are a bit weird, but I, I'm hesitant on such a, such a deliberate, such a intention from the unconscious. Cause my, what the understanding I'm getting now is less that there would be a message that wants that, that wants to be delivered and more that there are these kind of general, sort of vague themes that kind of all weirdly over, over overlap. And then when you're, when you're dreaming, you're sort of pulling from that, but not in any directed way. It's just that they sort of form and manifest. And now you have a dream. It's not like there's a message that wants to be delivered. It's more like, um, there is a, there's a, there's a bunch of material down there at which all has sort of emotional salience. And then maybe the most emotionally salient get brought together in a dream. That does sound that does sound closer towards uh, the proper way of or the more useful way of thinking about this. I, I really hope that we get to a point after reading this that we can have a much better. I, I'm, I'm sure it'll always have some level of mystique to it, but that we can look at these things and not fall into the obvious wrong ideas about these dreams because it sounds, if not useful, at least satisfying to have a you know, an idea about these hallucinations we have when we're sleeping, mm. like just that would be, would be good. And I think the way you're putting it is, is in the right direction. Yeah. Well, well let me, I would give your dream a oh, C yeah. minus minus. <laughs> oh no. no, no! Uh, that's breaking there. I would give it a, a C. Okay. I, I think it's, 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 uh, it's passing grade. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's how I feel about it. And as long as I beat you, that's the important thing. So, I think you've beat me twice in a row, which I'm quite <laughs> mad about. I'm going to start dreaming about. You're going to have to bribe the, feeling. the uh, judges, I think. <laughs> <laughs> At minimum. Yeah. All right. Well, um, maybe we can end it there. I don't really have any other thoughts. Oh, just one, one thing on you mentioned how, uh, you know, it would be useful or at the very least uh, interesting. I don't remember what the word was you used. But uh, but already you know the dream I had I think it was last week about the that that the guy with the demonically long limbs and how I was struggling against him and I get, eventually gave up you know I did think about that a lot I did and I I don't really have much more to say about it uh, just that it really made me think about my life and what is it that I'm maybe you know maybe what is it that I'm struggling against that I should give up what it, what is it that I've struggled against that I have given up. And just that whole concept in general. So I, I guess my only point there is like already that was very useful, even though I, I can't really give you any definite, you know, uh, insights I've gotten there. It just felt like it was a very useful exercise. It's, it's almost the same way I feel about tarot reading. You know, I don't think there's anything mysterious about tarot reading, but I do think it could be useful because you, you know, some, some person, you know, draws three random cards and then, then you are sort of forced to fit your life into this story and you're guaranteed to get a new framing on it. And that itself is helpful without any assumption of, um, of, uh, mysticism. So I guess even if dreams are sort of having a high element of randomness to it, and that's where my dream of this struggle with this guy came from, it still seemed to have a positive impact in my life. You know, it gave me something worth thinking about and worth asking myself. That's, that's, uh, that's true. I, I can't help but think of 
how you described prayer in your respect as being a sort of consultation with the unknown, mm. with our unknown origin in terms of what happened before the Big Bang and our unknown future of where you are personally headed, where humanity is headed. Mm. And that <clears throat> using that as a channel for for useful sort of important thinking in the same way dreams may be just putting you in the same mindset. It's yeah, these things, yeah, may not be anything more than, than useful tunnels towards the the kind of states of minds we want to be having. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, me too. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining in, and we will see you next week for episode five. Yeah, bye.